right there, Jenny. Good o. Good morning, everyone. My name's Dan. If we haven't met before, and as you just heard <laughs> from everyone who said good morning, Dan, it's great to be back after paternity leave. Like my, my heart is, is very full being back with you all to bring God's word to bear upon us. Um, and especially as I've just seen kids around you, you know when you get a new car and, and you like start seeing that car, I've got that at the moment with kids. <laughs> We've got a kid and I've just seen kids everywhere. <laughs> so there's Daisy. Good morning, Daisy. Isabel. I saw Hilkiah up the back there. Faith and Ewan, uh, and of course, um, oh, Daniel was around before, wasn't he? Uh, and, um, and of course, little Zoe is here. And uh, she's heard three sermons so far, believe it or not. The day after she was born, she was listening to a sermon. That was the one with Mike Prodigaladad uh, when he was here a few weeks ago. Uh, so she's heard three sermons. She hasn't said anything in response to any of them yet, but this is the first one her dad is preaching, so, so we'll see. <laughs> now, there is one danger... Uh, if you meet Zoe today, her grip and her arm strength have, have really improved the last week. So if she asks for a tomato, don't give her one <laughs> because the sermon's going to be great, darling. <laughs> we do not need tomatoes thrown. Uh, but really, it's, it is great to be back with you all uh, after a bit of absence. And we're just going to continue forward looking at this season of Advent, uh, looking at Jesus as Nigel just prayed Um, We we want our hearts to be full with him at this time of year. Uh, And uh, do you know what the word Advent means? Anyone know? Coming coming or arrival. Uh, The word adventure uh, is the arrival or the coming of a hero who's going to save, right? And Advent is much the same. It's the coming of Jesus to save. Uh, And I want to start with a controversial statement about this Jesus. You ready? So, when Jesus arrived on earth, here's the controversy, he was human. Shock horror. It's not very controversial at all, is it? Especially compared to last week where we heard from Ben, our guest preacher, that Jesus, this baby in the manger, is God. Now, that's a controversy, isn't it? I mean, that just invalidates so many other worldviews and religious perspectives around the world. There is a God. (laughs) There is one God. His name is Jesus. Now, that's a controversy. But Jesus is a human. Well, anyone who believes he really exists would agree with that, wouldn't they? And yet it should be controversial. It is controversial that Jesus is a human. Because think about it. The claim that the Bible makes is that God became a man, a human. Now, Sky was telling me this week that once she was talking with a Muslim friend of hers, someone who believes in Islam, they don't hold that Jesus is God. They believe he was a prophet, a wise man, but certainly not divine. Uh, And they were talking, they were comparing the differences between Christianity and Islam. And a friend turns to her at a certain point in the conversation and says, you do know you sound a bit crazy, right? Sky goes, what do you mean? Well, I mean, you believe that God became a person? We both believe that God is holy, he's perfect. How is it that the holy creator God could so limit himself by becoming a a disgusting small human? Kids, it's a bit like a person wanting to become a cockroach. 
Now, do you want to become a cockroach face? I don't think so. <laughs> no, I, neither do I. It does sound a little bit crazy, doesn't it? God, the infinite creator God, becoming a finite, limited, weak, dependent, small human. And yet, that's exactly the claim that Scripture makes. That's what the Bible says. And today, we're going to see why that's so important. Why is it so important that God became a human? Why is it essential that Jesus is both God and man? And how does that prompt us in this season of Advent to marvel at him? How are we going to do it? Well, last week, uh, Ben uh, was leading us through how this baby in the manger is God. And he did that with a successive series of three layers. Uh, Here are the things you need to know if you're five years old, 20 years old, 40 years old, uh, seeing that this baby is God. We're going to do a similar thing today. We're not going to use the ages because sometimes a five-year-old can know a lot and a 40-year-old can know very little, right? Um, I know I'm going to be 40 in a few years' time, so I get that. (laughs) Uh, So we're going to be a bit more flexible with it. Um, Here's how we're going to do it. Ray, if we could get that up, please. Thank you. So, first layer. What does a child or someone unfamiliar with Christianity need to know about Jesus and his humanity? Second layer. What about an adult? Or, maybe if you're a very thoughtful kid, uh, someone who's thinking about this a little bit more. Someone who's been around Christian things for a while. Maybe is a Christian. Then the third layer. What about a Christian who's doing it tough? Why is it necessary that Jesus is a human for you? And as we unwrap these layers, just like unwrapping the swaddling cloth in which Jesus the baby was laid, we are going to see marvelous things about him. Whoever you are, wherever you're at in your journey along this thinking about Jesus, there is something for you to discover here. And uh, look, because this is such a big topic, I mean, we're just talking about God becoming a person. That's not big, is it? Because this is such a big topic, uh, there might be questions you have. There might be thoughts you have along the way. Uh, if we have time at the end, if we have time, uh, we'll, we'll do a bit of Q&A or, or a bit of questions and thoughts um, just for five minutes or something. Uh, and so write down a question or a thought that you have as you go through. Even if we don't have time to do that, if I just keep prattling on, then at the very least, it's good for you to, to write down the things that you're learning, right? or to write down a good question that you have, that could prompt a really fruitful conversation after the sermon. So I encourage you to do that, and we'll see if we have time at the end. But first, let's pray, and we'll get into things. Lord, as we've been singing that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, let's reflect on the meaning of that word, God with us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to be God with us. We pray as we unwrap these marvellous truths in Scripture this morning that by your Spirit you would apply them to our hearts and our minds and our lives. Lord, what we are not, make us, and what we have not, please give us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, can you open to the book of Hebrews with me? Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 is where we're going to start. This is on, if you're using the black church Bibles, which by the way, if you don't have a Bible, just grab one up the back. Uh, You can take that, that's yours. Uh, it's on page 1001 in, in my uh, church Bible here, Hebrews. Uh, and we're going to unwrap that first layer together. What does a kid, what does a kid or someone who's new to Christianity need to know about Jesus' humanity? And here we go. Kids especially, I want you to listen in with me on this, okay? 
Give me your eyes, give me your attention. I I want you to, to hear this. Daisy, I want you to hear this. Jesus became a human so we can see God. There's the big truth. And because this is something that even a kid should be able to understand, I've got some actions that go with it, okay? Uh, and I want you, adults, can you do this with me as well? Help, help the kids out. Embrace your inner child. It's Christmas. Right, don't be the Grinch. Here we go. So, so make a J for Jesus. Can you do that? J for Jesus. Here we go. So that's the letter J, if you're looking at it. Uh, Jesus became what? What was it? Human. Jesus became human, just like you and me. Jesus became human, so what? So we can see, so you can see God. You do that all together? Jesus became human so that we can see God. There you go. I feel like I'm, I'm doing kids' church again. That's good. It's good. Now, this is a truth that we all need to remember and memorize, isn't it? Jesus became a human so that we can see God. Take a look here in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Kids, can you see it? I want you to point to that verse in your Bible or in mum or dad's Bible there. Hebrews 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. There's some really clear statements there showing that Jesus is God. Remember back to last week with Ben. He upholds everything in the universe. Everything exists moment by moment because Jesus wills it so. He is God. And he is the exact imprint of God's nature. That's just another way of saying he is exactly God. If you see Jesus, you see God. But then there's another statement in here, a metaphor, an image that uh, has to do more with Jesus' humanity, and it's that the sun is the radiance of the glory of God. What does radiance mean? The shining. Yeah, like, like the sun. Here you go, right? The sun shines. It shines out radiance, and it, it comes here to earth. We see the sun because of its light. In fact, you may not know this. This is a bit of science. I'm not a scientist. Don't like You've you got to fact check me if I tell you anything scientific, okay? But... Here's a bit of science. It actually takes eight minutes for the light of the sun to cross the 150 million kilometers from where it is to here at uh, us at Earth. All right? So we don't actually directly see the sun, do we? We we see the light of the sun from eight minutes ago. (laughs) And there's something in that 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 speaks to the nature of God's revelation in the person of Jesus. Think about it this way. If you could... Look at the sun, turn all the lights off, and just see its form. What would it look like? Oh, we, we don't know. It's impossible to see things without light. That's the limitation of being human. If we don't have light, we cannot see. So, do you really know what the sun looks like? No. I don't. You don't. It's impossible to know. We can't know what God the Father looks like. None of us can actually see him. The Bible says that he does not have a body. He does not have a form by which to see him. All right? He is a spirit. We cannot see God the Father. Similarly, we cannot approach God the Father. Think about how far the sun is away from earth. 150 million kilometers. Good luck crossing that kind of distance. And then even if you do... You might land on the sun, and what's going to happen? 
<laughs> right? Yesterday's temperature is going to feel like the dead of winter. We cannot see God the Father. We cannot approach God the Father. That's because of our sin. More on that later. And so, so what do we do? Well, we can't do anything except if God the Father should choose to reveal himself to us in some way. And that he has done in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He is like the light from the sun. It's, he's indistinguishable from the sun itself, just as the light is indistinguishable from the sun itself. Uh, Jesus is indistinguishable from God, right? He is God. And yet he represents God to us in a new way that had never before been done in history. The light hits the earth and we see the very character of God. People could approach Jesus. People could see Jesus. People could touch Jesus. And the New Testament recorded all of their experiences for us. Think about the shepherds who were there at his birth. They saw the baby. A couple of years later, the wise teachers who went and visited the toddler, Jesus, they saw him. The teachers who listened to him at the temple when he was 12 years old. The crowds who witnessed his baptism. The disciples who walked with him on the road, ate with him at the table, sat at his feet as he taught. The disciples who wept beneath the cross, seeing him die, who marveled at the empty tomb and who worshipped him on the Mount of Galilee. They saw, they touched, they experienced, they wrote. It's the light of the glory of God that people actually interacted with and they saw God. Now, one of his disciples, John, put it this way in his own gospel. Can you flick over with me? Just keep your finger in Hebrews, but flip over to John. Chapter 1. If you've got the church Bible, I've got page 886. John 1, verse 14. Here's what it says. This is John who was a witness to these things. He touched and ate with and saw Jesus. John says, verse 14, The Word, that's a way of saying Jesus, Jesus, the Word, became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This word from the Father, like, like when I speak, it goes out into space. Similarly, that the sun shines and the light goes out. Similarly, the Father wants to reveal himself, and so he sends his Son out. This word from the Father, this revelation from the Father, comes in the form of flesh, body, so that we can see God. He dwelt among us. People saw him and touched him. And that prompts John to say a few verses later in verse 18, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever been to the Son. No one has seen God. But the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him know. Who is that only God at the Father's side? Jesus. He has come in the form of a human to make God known. Come back to our actions. Jesus became a human so that we can see God. There's the truth. How can you know that God is real? Kids, have you ever wondered that? How can you know if God is real? Here's the answer. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus in the pages of Scripture. 
How can you know what God is like? Look to Jesus. How can you know that God loves you and wants you to know him? Look to Jesus. Look in the pages of Scripture. Read your Bible. Encounter this Jesus that people saw and touched and lived with, who revealed God to us. In fact, now at Advent is the best time to take one of the Gospels and, and read through it just from start to finish. It only takes you a few hours, actually. Kids, if, if you uh, have a, a Bible at home with your parents, get them to read with you a little bit each night or, or take a moment on Saturday and, and read a little bit next week. Read a little bit the Sabo. Read the Scriptures together and encounter this Jesus. Look at him and marvel at him, this God who became man. That's the first layer. But of course, there's more to go. How about the second layer? What about an adult or someone who's thinking a little bit more about these things? What do they need to see about Jesus' humanity? Well, in one sense, it's the same for kids and adults, isn't it? We need to see God and Jesus is the only way to see him. So it's, it's the same for all of us. It doesn't matter how much more you've learned, how long you've been a Christian, we come back to the actions, right? God uh, Jesus became a human so that we can see God. Uh, there is a temptation to move on from Jesus, to think that we need to, uh, something else in order to really see God. And these temptations are wrapped like presents under the Christmas tree, offering something exciting and new. What could it be? It might be a new teacher with a new teaching that you've heard on Christian TV or on a podcast somewhere. And it doesn't really line up with Scripture. It doesn't line up with the things you've really heard about Jesus. But it's, you know, it's, it's like a present. It's exciting. It's new. And wow. But no, friends. No. The Scriptures contain everything we need to know about the Son of God such that we might understand the character of God and put our trust in Him and follow Him. Do not move on from Jesus. Do not move on from His Word. Jesus became a human so that we can see God. But he also became a man for another reason. And this has to do with salvation. Jesus became a human to save us. In fact, he had to be human to save us. A bit like you can see there the lifeguard who's out in the ocean. A lifeguard can't save a drowning person who's out in the water by staying on the shore, can they? They need to jump in their boat or on their their board and put themselves in the peril of the waves in order to go out and save the person. Jesus became a human for that very purpose. Come with me over the page in Hebrews to chapter 2, verse 10, and we're going to largely camp out in this passage for the rest of today's sermon. Chapter 2 is really just extending on what we've already seen in chapter 1. Jesus is God who became a man, uh, and now we're just zeroing in more on the man bit of that equation. Verse 10, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Just take that bit by bit. The first he is God the Father. He, God the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist, he made everything, in bringing many sons to glory, so, so in seeking to save many people, God the Father made the founder of their salvation, that is Jesus, he made Jesus perfect through suffering. 
Now, does that raise any questions for you? I'll bet it does. First one is, Jesus being made perfect? Isn't Jesus God? Doesn't that mean he's already perfect? So what's happening there? And the second one might be, well, hold on. How can God suffer? Made perfect through suffering. Remember back to, to Sky's Muslim friend. How is it that, that God, who is perfect and holy and can do all things, how could or would he suffer? Two questions there. How is it that, that God needs to be made perfect and how is it that he could suffer? Well, the first one is actually pretty straightforward. Uh, in the Bible, uh, the Greek word for perfect, does anyone know what it is? Call it out. Anyone got it? No? All right, I'll tell you what. Telos. Telos is the Greek word for perfect. And uh, sometimes it means moral perfection. T-E-L-O-S, if you want to look that up. Uh, sometimes it means moral perfection, but not always, right? Sometimes it means something else. And so here in this passage, I don't think it's meaning moral perfection, as if to say um, Jesus was evil or impure in some way. Uh, he, he lacked something in his character and, and needed to work his way to becoming good again. That is not what this is saying. The word telos can sometimes mean completion. Think like a to-do list where you've got to tick off all the items and then once you've ticked them all off, ding, telos. Completion, done. Plan accomplished. I think that's what's in view here. It's that God sent Jesus with a plan, a plan of salvation, and he, there are various steps to that plan that need to sort of be ticked off before it can say, perfect, complete, done. Does that make sense? You with me on that? Uh, so the question then is, what are some of the items on the to-do list that need to be done for it to say that Jesus is perfect, that he's done the plan? And the answer is right there in verse 10, that he will be made perfect or, or this, this plan will be made complete through what? Suffering. Suffering. So you look down the to-do list there and you see that there's all these things that are going to involve a lot of pain for Jesus. And the way that those items are, are sort of crossed off is with sweat and with tears and even with blood. This is where Islam get, gets it wrong. It's not just that God can suffer, it's that he has to. In the person of Jesus, he has to for our salvation. Now, why is that? Because only someone who is both fully God and fully man can actually work our salvation. And to be fully man, to be fully human, involves putting ourselves at peril, involves going into the waves, involves potentially having the drowning person clawing themselves on you and dragging you beneath the surface. It involves pain and suffering. And that begins to be borne out here in the passage in verse 11 to 13. It says that Jesus had to share the same source as sinful people, the one who sanctifies and the ones who are sanctified. It's just saying he has to be born as a human. And then there's a bunch of Old Testament references there that bring that out. It's just saying Jesus and people are of the, the one kind. I'll tell your name to my brothers. Uh, behold, the children God has given me. We are of the same source, the one kind. We're all human. Which then brings us to verse 14. Since therefore the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, he himself, the Lord Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, and on it goes. Jesus took on flesh and blood to save us. 
Think about that. Jesus had a body. We all know that. But he had a body that was limited, that was prone to weakness, that got tired, that had sleepless nights, sometimes because the disciples would come and keep waking him up, right? much like a little one in our household. <laughs> he was in a body that, that starved, that got hungry. Think about his 40 days in the wilderness, that thirsted. In John 19, when he's hanging on the cross, he says, I thirst, right? What an irony that the source of living water would thirst. This is Jesus. He occupies a body that is weak and, and has all the limitations that ours have. He had emotions. The shortest verse in the Bible is in uh, the book of John. It just says, Jesus wept. Why was he weeping? It's for the death of his friend Lazarus. Not because he... he thought, well, I'll never have Lazarus back, right? He knows he's about to raise his friend, but because he feels this compassion and empathy for his other friends who are weeping, and of course the loss of your friend is a big thing, even if you know they're about to be raised. He, he weeps, he's affected by things. He got angry when he saw the temple being used as a marketplace. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweated as he was praying to God, and the sweat hits the ground like, like great drops of blood, Jesus felt anxiety. Jesus felt emotional turmoil. He was locked in a battle against despair. He had to learn. Have you thought about that? Jesus had to learn. Sometimes uh, people think that, that like the baby in the manger is just kind of Einstein wrapped in baby skin. That's not the case. Sometimes I look at our newborn daughter, Zoe, and I just think, wow, you have so much to learn. Right now, you are learning light. You are just learning light and darkness and faces. And she's learning that mum is safe. And she's learning to sleep, sort of. Right? She has so much to learn. Uh, did Jesus have to do these things? Yes. Yes, he did. He came as a baby, bearing flesh and blood, like us in every respect. Take a look at that in verse 17, or well, verse 14 rather. He, he partook of the same things. Humans need to learn, don't they? Verse 17, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, including the journey of depending on adults and, and developing and, and growing up. Luke 2.52, he grew in wisdom and in stature before God and man. He had to learn, he had to grow. Still don't believe me. Flip over to chapter 5, verse 7. Here's what it says. In the days of his flesh, while he was human, when he came as a human, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication. Why would he have to pray? Hmm. He offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Look at the next sentence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, isn't that fascinating? Isn't that interesting that that's what the Bible says? That Jesus had to learn. And this might be new for you. But Jesus, as a baby, had to learn to do what his mum said. He had to learn to use his hands and his feet. Think about that. The God through whom Adam and Eve were made, <laughs> through whom every person on earth has been made, had to learn to use his eyes and his ears and his hands and his feet, just like Zoe does. 
he had to learn to read. The Word had to learn to read. He had to learn to obey his heavenly Father. He had to learn to trust his heavenly Father through lots and lots of of difficulties until finally it led him to the cross. He had to learn even to trust his heavenly Father in the garden. He prayed not once, not twice, but three times because the pain kept going and he had to press in. This all involves suffering, tears, crying out, and he had to learn. He had to learn to obey God just like we do, no shortcuts. But Jesus is unlike us in his humanity in one key way. He never once sinned. He never once sinned. When we talk about him learning... He never once disobeyed his parents. He never once thought the wrong thing about God's word. He never once failed to trust his father. He always did it perfectly. Still, he had to learn to do it through suffering. That's an incredible thing. That's an incredible thing, friends. Because how many sins would it have taken for Jesus to become a sinner? Just one. Just one. Think about this morning. (laughs) Think about yesterday. We'd all have blown it, wouldn't we? Think about Satan in the wilderness tempting Jesus. Satan knew it just took one. He threw everything he had at him. Jesus stood firm. He never once sinned. Think about that. Jesus never, ever, ever had to reconcile with another person or reconcile with God. He never had to say, Lord, I'm sorry. He never had to say, yeah, I got that wrong. I'm sorry, I was the one who who was in error. (laughs) Isn't that bananas? He was totally, completely sinless. And, and, oh gosh, even when you think then about, like, when you bear up against temptation, think, think about a time even for yourself, just pick one in the last week, where you attempted to sin, get something in your mind there, and you, maybe you bore up against it for a time, maybe you gave in pretty early, maybe you bore up for a little while and then gave in. Maybe you you didn't give in and you you made it all the way to the end. Just think about like how much harder it actually gets to resist sin the longer you resist it. A bit like with exercise. Uh, I have a a habit of doing these planks. Uh, My habit is uh, once every six months, and that is a habit technically. Once every six months, I set a timer on my phone, two minutes, okay? And I get down into a plank and and see if I can hold it. And the, the temptation for me is... I'll give up at 30 seconds because haven't I put in a good effort? And I can feel it. I can feel the lactic acid burning. My body's exercising. I don't have to make it all the way to the timer to have exercised, right? (laughs) But but if you hold a plank like this and you try to make it all the way to the timer, think about whatever your limit is. For me, it's definitely two minutes or less. Uh, But for you, maybe it's longer. Think about being pushed right to your limit. How much harder it gets psychologically, physically, as you approach that limit. See what I'm saying? Jesus resisted sin to the very point of of, of maximum intensity every single time because he never once copped out. He never once stopped at 30 seconds. He never once gave in. For him, it was the maximum cost every time. And no sooner had he dropped the pose than Satan comes again. And he's back up. Imagine the pressure. No one on earth has ever had to deal with anything like that 
ever except for the Son of God. And yet he came through it having never once sinned. Incredible. Even when it led him to be crucified. Come back to verse 14. He shared in flesh and blood, he partook of the same things as us, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, here's the purpose of Jesus becoming human. He took on a body, he lived a bodily life in a broken world, he learned to rely on God his Father He suffered temptation again and again, emerging sinless, so that through his death, he would destroy the power of the one who has the power of death. Satan stands as our accuser, right? He is not your friend, he is your enemy. And what he does is is imagine him with a, a list of accusations here. These accusations of all the times that you and I have failed to worship God, failed to trust Him, failed to to make it all the way to the end of resisting sin. We give up so easily and so quickly. I say that. We can all say that honestly. Here's Satan coming with a list of accusations, saying, "This this is why you cannot approach a holy God. This is why you cannot set foot on the sun. This is why He's going to burn you up. And Satan's not wrong. He's not wrong. That is why the Lord has to judge us because of our sin, because of our rebellion against him. But here's what Jesus does. Jesus comes and rips that list out of Satan's hands. And he does it through his bodily death on the cross. In fact, not just that, but through his bodily life. If you want to turn to look this up, his active obedience, right? His active obedience, the fact that he has to learn through suffering, the fact that he never fell, the fact that he always did what was righteous, that is part of what rips the list out of Satan's hands because Jesus himself is perfect and he gives to us his perfection when we trust in him. But then he dies on the cross, a bodily death, through spiritual, physical, emotional pain, taking the judgment we deserve, taking, as it were, the accusations of Satan, so that we might be delivered from slavery to death, so that Satan's power in holding that list over us is yanked away from him. And now all of those who trust in the bodily life and death and resurrection of Jesus have nothing to fear from a holy God. They can set foot on the sun because of Jesus. If you want another way of putting that, verse 17 once again. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, interceder in the service of God to make propitiation. That is to turn away the judgment of God, to deal with our sins, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And if he was not fully human, he would not have been able to do that. He would not have been a like-for-like offering. What does that do in you? Think about it. What does that do in you? That Jesus left his place in heaven by the Father's side to do all of this, to become a human, to learn, to grow, to be vulnerable, to be weak, to undergo suffering, to suffer death on a cross, condemned as a sinner, all to save us, 
I mean, does that move you in any way? I hope it does. Does it move you to cherish him? Does it move you to, to worship him? Does it move you to, to trust him? I read a book from Bruce Ware this week. Excellent book if you want to have a look at this subject. The Man Christ Jesus, Bruce Ware. This is one of the guys that trained our previous senior pastor, Rob Jenner. He's legit, okay? The Man Christ Jesus. Here's what Bruce Ware says. What an amazing truth. The eternal Son of the Father left the glories of heaven and took on our human nature for one ultimate, pervasive, and central purpose. To bear the sin we have committed and to die the death that we deserve because we, he knew the only way, that this, this was the only way that we would be saved. Marvel at this love. Marvel at this sacrifice and worship this God become man. But there's still one more layer to unwrap. We can go deeper still. What about someone who's doing it tough? A Christian who's doing it tough. And I mean, we can keep going forever with these layers, can't we? We will in the new creation. There'll be more and more to discover about Jesus. But what about a Christian who's doing it tough? Well, the first layer was that he became a human so we can see God. The second is he came to save us. And the third is that he came to sympathize with us. It's that we would find in our human saviour a sympathetic saviour. He enters our suffering so that he can bear it with us. If you're finding it hard to face temptation at the moment, if you're dealing with difficulty in your walk with Jesus, this is what you need to hear. Jesus shows you sympathy. Come with me to Hebrews 2 verse 18. This is the way that the writer sums up the doctrine of Christ's humanity. He sums it up with this statement. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. One of my favourite Christmas carols that I think I heard you guys practising this morning is O Holy Night. We're singing that later. Yeah, good. <laughs> oh, holy night. It has these lines in it. Uh, the king of kings lay thus in lowly manger, in all our trials, born to be our friend. He knows our need. To our weakness is no stranger. Behold your king. Before him, lowly bend. Those are very true words. You could almost read that in scripture, couldn't you? The king laid in a manger... God born to be our friend. He knows our need. He's no stranger to weakness. Consider how Jesus was born, friends. We heard it before as Jenny read out Matthew 1. He was born in the midst of suffering and scandal. Born to a, a teenage girl who was engaged to a bloke. A, a, and the Holy Spirit comes and says, hey, uh, you're going to give birth to the Savior. Now, how on earth do you explain that to your fiancé? <laughs> you, you, you can't. What a scandal. I mean, the normal thing, according to Deuteronomy 22, was if a uh, woman had committed adultery before getting married, stone her to death. And so Joseph instead divorces her quietly, like a very loving, gracious move. That's why he does that, because it is such a scandal. And of course, then God tells him what's going on and he stays with her. He bears the scandal too. 
Then you look back uh, further in Matthew chapter 1, you look at the genealogy of Jesus, and I mean, this is the sort of thing that if Jesus was running for a political office, you would try and airbrush out as much of this as possible. Because yes, you've got, you've got David, the king, that's some good lineage. But then you've also got like Rahab, the woman of the night. <laughs> you've got Tamar, who did some really dodgy things as well. You've got Bathsheba. Only she's not even called Bathsheba. She's called the wife of Uriah because it's too scandalous that this should be in Jesus' genealogy. You've got Gentiles of various kinds when he is meant to be a Jew of Jews. This is all scandalous. And then even when Jesus is actually born, as we all well know, it's into a feeding trough in a manger because there was no room for the king of the universe to be born. We're familiar with this in our nativity scenes, of course. And I don't know if you've ever seen a Catalanian nativity scene. Here's what it looks like. I wonder if you can notice something interesting. The nativity bit that we're familiar with is off to the left, but what's that guy doing there? I'll give you a zoom in. Here's what he's doing. He is called the Caganer, or in English, the Pooper. The reason that the Pooper is there in the nativity scene is because they want to represent that Jesus came into our mess. He came into the, the chaos, the disgust, the offensiveness of the human world. This is what God did. It begins at his birth. It continues in his life. As we've seen, he, he has all the same physical and emotional difficulties that we have to face, only amped up to 11. He has to learn to obey God in the midst of all of it. And that means he can sympathize with us in our struggles to follow the Lord, even in the deepest of hardships, friends. Hebrews 4, verse 16, famous verse. Verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you are a follower of Jesus, here is the promise for you. You have a saviour who understands, who has been through your experience of suffering and temptation and hardship. He knows what it's like to manage doubt, to push through temptation, to deal with disappointment, to forgive those who hurt us, to love those who hate us. He is both the founder of our faith who goes before us and our compassionate brother, who much like that image in the background, walks beside us. He's not there to condemn you if you are in Christ. He's there to save you. He's not there to judge you, but to bear you up. And as we pray for the Lord's help, we can know that we have a sympathetic saviour. But of course, that's only a helpful truth if you are indeed a believer, right? Jesus came to bring many sons to glory, and he is not there simply to sympathize with us if what we want is a faster car or to get out of this marriage so I can get a, a new partner, right? Or whatever other substitute for God we might want. He is there to help Christians, those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who have had their sin turned away at the cross. It is therefore, he is there for Christians to sympathize with us that we might become more like him. He knows our need to our weakness is no stranger 
Behold your king, before him lowly bend. The two go together. And that's another reason why he became a human. Now, so many layers to this, aren't there? There's our sort of summary. Why did he, or what does a child need to understand? It's that Jesus became a human so that we can see God. What about an adult or someone thinking a bit more? It's that Jesus came to save us through his active obedience in his bodily life and then his active obedience in his, his body given at the cross. Jesus came to save. What about a Christian doing it tough? Feel the sympathy of the Lord, friend, that he knows exactly what your needs and weaknesses are. He has been through them and he has the power to help you as well. So many layers to this. Another way of putting it is that no incarnation means no revelation, no salvation, no consolation. Right? No incarnation means no revelation, no salvation, no consolation. But because we have a Savior who came with a body, we have these things in the person of Jesus Christ. So my, fr- my question to you, friends, is simply, which layer do you need to unwrap this morning? Do you need to see God with fresh eyes in the person of Jesus? Do you need to turn to him and be saved or be assured of your salvation in him? Do you need to know his sympathy through the hardships that you're facing? Let's pray. Lord, these are big things. These are tough things to understand. But we pray simply, Lord, uh, give us the mind of Christ. Give us... Um, the, the power of the Spirit to bear fruit in us so that we might fall before you in worship and trust, Lord Jesus. Show us what we need to in this Advent season or what we need to see about you so that we might trust, repent and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Was there a question or thought that came up for you as we're going through leave it open for a moment in case there is. Have a look at what you wrote down. It's okay if there's nothing. But if there is, I'll be very impressed. Yeah, Ezra. When? Yeah, okay. The... um, well, the, the calendar that we kind of use is an AD calendar, which is supposed to kind of trace back to the birth of Jesus, right? So we might say 20, 23 years ago, but in actual fact, it's, it's sort of off by about three years because of just the way they kept records back then. Um, and so people generally say it's, it's, is it three years before or three years after? I can't quite remember. It's one or the other of those. Um, but yeah, we have reliable records, uh, historical records, to say that he was born in and around that time period. Yeah. Yeah. Year three or year minus three. Someone can look that up and, and, and find it for us. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah, Betty. Mm. Mm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, not familiar with that. That's interesting to, to look into. Um, someone, I'm sure, could do some judicious Googling and, and just try and see if, if there's any, any merit to that. That's, that's an interesting thought. I think so, because if you come and ask people, 
Okay. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's got some good stuff. All right. Yeah, cool. Well, hey, if you want to find out what that film was, go chat with Betty. Great. Is there any one more question? Sky. Yeah, 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 indeed. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. I was talking about the... The perfect sheep is that that spot, and, but yes, yeah, so mangers were caves. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Yep. It's usually a tearjerker for me that song. All right. How about maybe we move towards communion then? So if I could ask the helpers to head down the back. And by the way, if um if you've got another question, another thought, chat with each other. Again, it would just be great to hear conversation about the, the marvellous character of Jesus this morning.